We were not able to be together last week, and so when I sat down to put together my sermon for this week, I looked at my schedule and I was like, ah, we were supposed to do Isaiah 46, we're supposed to do Isaiah 47 this week, and if I back up a week, it's going to mess up my schedule for the coming weeks, because I have certain chapters that I want to do on certain days, and I was like, ah, what do we do? Well, I, I prayed about it, and I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And, and the Lord just put in my heart, he said, do both chapters. And I was like, that's a lot. He said, just do both chapters. So I started reading. <clears throat> one of, the, one of the, the very first commentator I opened up, he said, it's interesting. Chapter 46 and 47 are kind of like two halves of the same sheet of paper. <laughs> and I went, thank you, God. <laughs> I didn't know that when I started, but I know it now. Cool. That's why it's okay for us to do 46 and 47 on the same day. So, let me, um, I'm going to, we're not going to go through all, um, all of the verses line by line by line just because um, <clears throat> it's 28 verses and just to read it would take 15, 20 minutes. So, um, but let me give you the gist of what this is, this two chapter little look. Actually, chapter 40 through 48, if you'll recall, which we talked about a number of weeks ago, this section of Isaiah is, <clears throat> all of these are prophecies directed to Babylon. And God is saying through the prophet Isaiah to Babylon, you people messed up. Yes, I used you to, to bring discipline to my people, but you took advantage. And, and you'll read in here, if you, well, uh, it, later, I think it's in 47, um, you'll read, if we, we won't take time this morning to read it, but you'll read where it says, um, I gave you my people because there was a reason for it, and you took advantage of them. You even put a heavy burden on the old people, and I'm not pleased. And so God literally just tells Babylon off in this. Well, there's two specific things that I want to look at as far as just the, the ideas that are presented here so that when you're reading it for yourself, actually there's three, um, when you're reading it for yourself later on, you'll get a better understanding. First of all, if you open up to Isaiah chapter 46, verse 1, <clears throat> it says this, Bel, B-E-L, bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. And it doesn't make all that sense to me. I don't have a whole lot of background in this. So as I was reading, I learned stuff about Babylon and Babylonian culture and their uh, their religions and their festivals and Isaiah in this two verses of 46 is talking specifically to the gods or the major gods of Babylon. Bel, you probably heard it differently as Baal, B-A-A-L. Baal was the god in Canaan. Well, the same term, the same word, God, Bel, is in Babylon. And <clears throat> Bel in Babylon, the chief god, is also known as Marduk. And you have come across that name in the past, in recent weeks. So when Isaiah says, Bel bows down, what he's saying is that their chief god is going to bow down. 
Nebo. Who is Nebo? Nebo, according to the, the, the um, religion of, of ancient Babylon, Nebo was the son of Marduk, or Bel. And Nebo actually was the patron god of a town very near to Babylon. And Nebo's job as a god was once a year, Nebo was, uh, he was A, uh, the god of wisdom, and B, he was the god of forth-telling, if you will. And Nebo, once a year in their religious culture, would come to Babylon with his father, join with his father, they would go to the temple, and Nebo would then write out the prophetic word for the coming year for the people of Babylon. Now, this is all in their religion. This is a god, a, a false god that, that, they, that, that came. It wasn't like a, an individual actually came and wrote stuff down. But it was their, their religious practice that literally once a year on their new year, they had this huge, huge party. And they, the, one of the commentators that I was reading said it likens to the Mardi Gras celebration or the carnival celebration down in Brazil. It was this raucous rowdy, body, huge party. People were lining the streets and they had these statues, one of Marduk or Bel, and the other statue of Nebo that would be carried on these animals through the streets, taking them to the temple. And the whole idea was is that they were honoring and worshiping their chief god and his son and that they were expecting that the son was going to be pleased and write out good stuff for them in the coming year. Things that were going to happen for them in the coming year. So as long as they worshipped and served these two gods well during this festival, then the, the, the younger, the, the lower, lesser of the two gods was going to write out all the good stuff onto the tablets so that they would have a good year and a good crop and, and good success. And what Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying to the people of Israel, I mean, to, well, to the people of Israel, but especially to the people of Babylon, is your gods as you carry them through the street in your little carnival setting, are literally going to bow down. Because everything's going to come crashing down. Now, the thing is, Babylon was the world power. Babylon had incredible reach worldwide. And there was no chance in anybody's heart or mind that Babylon was ever going to fall. But God declared it. And if you remember, this was written 210 years before it actually happened. So verse 3 says, listen to me. Isaiah is saying to them, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me. This is Isaiah talking for God. Been born by me from before your birth. Carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear. I will carry, I will save. In these two verses, verse 3 and 4, Isaiah is saying on behalf of God, Israel, look, this wonderful, great, powerful nation that has you trapped as, 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 as in, in captivity, they carry their gods to their temple. But I want you to understand and recognize and remember that I am the one that have carried you the whole time. You have been born, verse 3, you have been born by me from before your birth. I carried you from the womb. 
And even into your old age, I will be the one. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I made you. I will bear you. I will carry you. I will save you. Thus says the word of God. That's a powerful statement. And it's, it's, it's something that these people who were in, in their captivity, they were losing hope. They'd been 70 years in captivity. They didn't see any end. They didn't see any chance. But 210 years before they were even, well, 160 years or so before they were captured and put into captivity, Isaiah wrote these words for the time that they were facing. Now, um, I don't want to get into all the rest of this uh, in chapter 46. Let me move into chapter 47 and say the other idea, the other image that we get um, a God through Isaiah was talking to the gods of, of Babylon in chapter 46. In chapter 47, he starts talking to Babylon herself. And he, he, he likens Babylon as a virgin daughter, as a royal queen or princess, as one who is, uh, imagine the one who's carried on the litter, the one who has servants to do for everything. She never has to dirty her hands to do anything. She wears silk and she wears satin and she eats the finest of foods and she has everything done for her and she's just a very frail, gentle, beautiful flower. But if you look in verse 2, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 47, it says, you virgin daughter of Babylon, you're going to sit on the ground. You're going to sit in the dust. You're going to take the millstones and grind flour. You're going to pull off your veil and strip off your robe and uncover your legs. Your nakedness is going to be uncovered and your disgrace is going to be seen. And so what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah to the people, to the nation of Babylon is, you think you're all that bag of chips and I'm telling you, the time is going to come when you're going to be everything that's opposite of what you are right now. You're going to lose everything. You are going to lose absolutely everything. And then the last part of this chapter, verse 40, in chapter 47, Isaiah starts addressing <clears throat> something that's in, that was interesting to me. In verse 12 says, um, excuse me, not verse 12, verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, oh, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you, should, you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like the stubble. They are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored. Who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. That's a strong statement from God to the people of Babylon. There is no one to save you. But what he was saying before that. Was he was saying. You people of Babylon. Who have relied on your religion of sorcery. You looked to the stars to determine what the pathway that you should do. You, they did astrology, basically. 
They did. They, they looked at their horoscopes. They did a lot of uh, 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 witchcraft, basically, is what they did. It was part of their religious practice. And God is saying, you have relied on this, you have rested on it. You've literally said, if you go back and read it, it says, they, they had this attitude that nothing could touch them. Nothing could harm them. And God himself said, no one is going to be there to save you. When I say it's enough, you're going to find no one to rescue you. None of your enchantments were going to help you. None of your sorcerers are going to help you. Your astrologers can't help you. None of your people that you've worked with in the past are going to come alongside you and help you. You are going to become desolate. As opposite as this genteel, fluffy little virginal daughter who's sitting on cushions, who's ending up naked and raw, sitting in the dirt, sitting in the dust, having to just do manual labor, and literally, it says, having her nakedness uncovered, which alludes to sexual abuse and sexual and rape. So everything bad is going to happen to, to Babylon, thus says God. And we know that they literally were overthrown. Now, um, the, um, the thing that, 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 that is interesting for me, again, this is something that, that jumped into me in verse 4 of 47. Right in the middle of this, you're going to, everything's going to be bad for you. Everything's going to be bad for you. Everything's going to be bad for you. And it says, Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying to the Babylonians, if you'll turn to the one true God, there is hope. But if you won't turn to him, there is no hope. And as we know, at the very end, there was no hope. They would, they never turned to God. They never honored God, never acknowledged him. And Babylon was indeed cast down. <clears throat> now, uh, the last thing I want to point to us, and this, is, this was the bulk of what I wanted to share this morning. I wanted to give you a history and an understanding so that when you read this for yourself, it'll make some sense to you. But I wanted to read the, uh, out of chapter 46, um, <clears throat> verses... Um, 8, 9, and down to 13. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. Your transgressors remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. What God is saying to his people is don't take your eyes off of me. I know that you are in bad straits right now. Because your forefathers refused to listen 200 years earlier. 
You are now facing this exile in Babylon, this captivity, this 70 years. And the time is going to come when I am going to rescue you. Because the time of your testing, the time of your trials, the time of your punishment is over with. But what I want you to do while you're going through these 70 years, O Israel. Because remember, this was written long before they went into the captivity. Remember this and stand firm. Remember the former things of old. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Let me read to you what one of the commentators that I was reading wrote. His name is, uh, uh, I believe it's John Oswald. Remember the former things of old, verse 9. What is the antidote to unbelief? Memory. God is not to be known in the endlessly recurring cycles of nature, mind-numbing in their glorious repetitions, but in his stark, unrepeatable intrusions into history. Remember those moments, says Moses and all the prophets, for as you do, you will see reality. You will see God as he really is and know that you can entrust yourself to him. What I heard as I was reading, as I was studying, as I read that paragraph, and as I was meditating and reflecting on what God would have us to focus on this morning is this. The Israelites served the one true God. Isaiah chapter 47, verse 4 said, He is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord who is all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, the one who commands all of heaven's armies. This is the God that Isaiah, that Isaiah is representing. This is the God that Israel serves. And what God is saying to them in Isaiah chapter 46 is, remember me and stand firm. Recall it to mind. Remember the former things of old. And it, he literally says, I declare the end from the very beginning. It's not just remember when you and I first came into relationship, O Israel, but recognize I have been with the people of this earth from the very beginning of time. I have, I have established relationship with Adam and Eve. I established relationship with Noah. I established relationship with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. I have established relationship and maintained relationship because of covenantal promises that I've made. And I've intersected time and time and time and time again. And if nothing else, if you can go back and just focus on those times when I was very real and very present to you and to your people, that will be what will sustain you through all of this darkness that you're passing through. And that was the word that God kept saying to me over and over again this morning when I was, when I was in my meditation time this morning in my office. He said, you present to the people the fact that they need to set up Ebenezer's and they need to then look to those Ebenezer's when the enemy tries to distract them. I will never leave them. I will never forsake them. I am the same yesterday and today and forever. And they can depend on me to always be there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I don't know 
what you guys are facing. I know what some of you are facing. But I don't know what you all are facing. But I do know that God himself loves you desperately and will not leave you hanging. I know that no matter how long your captivity period is, whether it's just starting or whether you're in the tail end of it or whether you're somewhere in between, the enemy is trying to keep you distracted and dissuaded away from God. And in the day-to-day, the mundane, this is what I loved about this, what he said, God is not known in the endless recurring cycles of nature, mind-numbing in their glorious repetitions, but God is known in his stark, unrepeatable intrusions into our history. It's those moments when you knew that you knew that you knew that God talked to you, that God specifically did something for you. I can remember my father-in-law saying to me many years ago, when you need to st- that you need to drive a stake in this spot. In other words, God did something miraculous for me. God spoke to me. God gave me clear guidance. And my father-in-law said to me, you need to drive a stake in this spot so that at any point in time, when the enemy tries to say, nah, that wasn't real, you can go back to that specific spot and say, right there, at that moment, at that place, at that time, God did this for me. That's an Ebenezer. And God said to me, as I was praying about how we were going to close our time this morning, you people need to do an active practice of Ebenezer. This morning, I will start to give you a chance to think. But did God interact with you in a real and intentional way sometime in the last 12 months that you can erect an Ebenezer by standing and giving testimony to what he did? And the one that that keeps coming to my mind for me is I have... uh, I have the responsibility of being the pastor of this congregation, but I also, as the pastor of this congregation, I'm responsible for the physical plant here. It is my job to make sure that this is running and that that it operates well, and it's my job to make sure that I pass it on to whomever comes after me in a good condition. Well, last March, we get a contact from the Department of Public Health saying, you got a problem, and we started looking at what we needed to do, and we were like, huh? There's no way. And I, I can go back to my journals and I can show you where in my prayers I was like, God, I'm trusting you. I truly am. I have no idea what, how, when, or why, but I know that I know that I know that you have got this. And whatever you choose to do, I'll say yes. And I can now look back 11 and a half months later. We have a tank full of clean, fresh water that's healthy. And we have a building that's heated. And we have all of the stuff necessary to make sure that the parsonage where the pastor lives has got clean water. And it didn't cost the church a dime. Literally, I was talking with, with uh, Tanya, our treasurer, the other day. And she said, we still have almost $1,000 in the bank waiting to spend it on the water. How did we start out with nothing and get a building and a tank and water filled and still have $1,000 in the bank. That doesn't make sense. But that's God. Proving that God is God. And he said, I'm the one and I will carry you. And I'll make sure. 
So my testimony, my Ebenezer, is every time I walk out the front door of my house, I see an Ebenezer. Now, I look at the ramp, I look at the roof, I look at the septic tank in the backyard. I mean, there are Ebenezers all over this property of how through the 13 and a half plus years that I've been here, God has done more and more and more. And that's just the physical plant. I can point to the lives that God has changed. I can point, there's so many different things that I can say God did this. Specifically, this was God. I can look at, uh, well, anyway, that, that was me. The, that's my Ebenezer, is that water tank, that building right there, knowing that when I walk away from here, whether it's next month or 12 years from now, I can know that the next pastor doesn't have to fear for their health. And that's a big, big deal. And I can also testify to the world my God did that. He proved himself omnipotent in that. It wasn't a problem for him. It took him 11 months, but it wasn't a problem. So what Ebenezer can you point to? Or what Ebenezer can you set up for this year? For the last 12 months, what has God done that you know that it was God? Tammy. He takes care of his people. That's not a small thing. To have a vehicle that you didn't pay for. Just give to you. That's amazing. Praise God. During my surgery, I felt the Lord with me. I had a peace. And I knew that everything would be alright. Praise God. Yeah, peace during the surgery. I found out the cabin I lived in was making me sick from black mold. And when I confirmed it, within 24 hours, my landlady called and said, I have to come home. I lost my job and I have to come home. And so I had to find a house. And during the course of that, I made a lot of, a lot of stupid mistakes and kept rescuing me out of. I can remember driving around that circle by Cold Spot Beach and going into Cold Spot Beach and meeting up with my friend George, who was setting up his wares. And I had, as I was driving around that circle, I was thinking about my dad, because he had died, and I didn't have him to talk to, I wanted to talk to him. And George was God's provision. He's just a, such a calm person, and he just, and we just talked about a lot of things that I was worried about. And before, and, and as I was driving around, I said, well, God, your love is solid to me. It is solid. I didn't really believe it. And so George, right before I left, ran back and he said, Leslie and I picked these up on the trail, and I want to give this to you. And it was a big heart-shaped rock. And I just got really teary, and I left. And um, within two days, and, and then I went past and he literally put a steamroller in front of the little place I was trying to rent. I couldn't get in. And then uh, it, it was rented before I could get a hold of the, uh, the landlord because the phone kept knocking out. It was like really bad interference. And I knew that he had done that. I knew that he had done that. And within two days after that, I had my house with water. Beautiful, impossible house. And that is God. Amen. And I have that rock in my house. <laughs> My Ebenezer. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? 
and four times she thought I was going to. And so she knows we're going to be staying in the city of David, where it's really don't go, and we're going to be staying with a Christian couple that have prayer watches. So we're going to be doing the big prayer watches in December. We're going to be over there on the, um, um, the 50 year anniversary of Israel, of Jerusalem. So this huge celebration and something else. It's not Passover. What is it? It's uh, something else celebrating we're going to be there for. And she has it all arranged. I'm just following. And I just go, how did this ever happen? How in the world does this ever happen? Am I going to be able to handle it? But anyway, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's God. God gives us the desires of our heart. He knows, but he knows the desire of your heart. Yeah. And he wants, but he, and he wants to bless you. What's wrong with the father saying, "Here, I want to give you a gift." I just, I yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Well, you need to set up an Ebenezer when you get back. Elena? Mm. And uh, yeah, so I think we'll apply this principle now to and every aspect of 
walk in that and do it because I desire it. Mm. But if I'm always desiring to be the best dad, to be the best husband, you know, to, to be the best at what I'm doing, I've completed unattainable goals that put a lot of disappointment, at least in my heart. You know, to not want to be in the best that I can be through the power of God and his fault. I work harder than any one of you, not me, but God through me. So I'm making sure I'm checking my heart, making sure I have the right motives for what I'm doing, and now I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing because it's my job to be the best. And it's all because you had six lazy dogs. Why don't we close? Father God, I give you praise. I thank you for the fact that you are very real and very near to us and that you make yourself known to us. As this author has said, you break in in those extraordinary moments and you give us epiphanies, you give us understanding, you prove to us through physical things or financial things or healings, whatever it is, but you intersect with our lives, God, in a, in a powerful and mighty way, and it proves to us that you are indeed Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of all. And so, God, I ask that as we walk out of here today, whatever it is that we're dealing with, whatever things are in our lives that are trying to distract us from 
who you are and what our purpose is, I pray, Father, that you would remind us, draw our hearts and our minds back to these Ebenezer's, these times where you, we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew that you were real and that you were powerful and that you were almighty. Father, God, help us to rest in that. Help us to walk in that. Help us to hold on to that as we strive through the, through the things that you've put us in every day this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.